Have you ever noticed that life comes down to two questions? And the real mission of life is to answer those two questions correctly. Who is he and who are we? Now, the order of those questions is absolutely essential. You can't get to the who is we part until you first understand who is he. And once you understand who he is, then we can understand who we are. You ever notice that that's how the Bible flows? The Bible begins by explaining who God is. And once you get a sense of who God is, then our responsibility, our place in that drama flows from that. We've been looking at the Lord's Prayer. And we said the Lord's Prayer contains six requests. The first three requests are answering who is he. We started by saying God is Father. He's not our landlord. He's our Father. Last week, Carlos helped us understand a second part of the who is he, and that's that God is holy. He's to be honored. He's to be the top priority. Life is to be wrapped around him rather than around us, and he's a king. May his kingdom come. Here's an an interesting way to put it. A number of staff members read a book about a year ago now, and there's a quote in there that has stuck with me for a year. The author has said this. God has given us the awesome privilege of being a supporting actor in his story. That's amazing, right? God's given us the privilege of being a supporting actor in his story. The problem is we want to make God a supporting actor in our story. That's reversing the questions. So once we understand who he is, he's Father, he's holy, therefore to be honored and prioritized, And he's a king whose kingdom needs to be extended. Well, then who are we? Well, we're in in need of provision because we really can't provide for ourselves. We're in need of forgiveness because we're guilty. And we're in need of leadership because we're often not able to find our way. Life comes down to two questions. Who is he? Who are we? Get the order backwards. Get life backwards. The Lord's Prayer, the Ten Commandments, the whole of Scripture... Puts the questions in the right order. Who is he and who are we? Now, what I'm going to do this morning, I'm going to flip the order a little bit. We're not going to look at the third one of the God um, statements. We're going to look at the second of the our, us statements, and that is forgive us. Um, And I thought you would need it by now. Let me ask you this question. We talked about God being father, not landlord. God being holy, life is to be wrapped around him. He's the priority. He's the one with the weight that life is to wrap around uh, how you doing so far? Feeling real good about both of us? You got that licked? You always remember God's Father. You never make God your landlord. You never get on that performance treadmill trying to earn your own way. Oh, yeah, and you always treat God as holy and you're secondary and you wrap your life around him, not around... Well, we need forgiveness, right? And since we need forgiveness, I thought we would jump to the second of the us and our statements, and that is, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now... We're going to look at that by asking some questions. Um, The word there, right, forgive us our debts, we're going to talk about. So our theme this morning is looking at the gospel economy. And you're going to see how that gets fleshed out as we go. But we need to start by looking at forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors by asking a few questions because we drop the ball a lot and we're often confused. Here's the first question. Why do we need to confess 
Ever asked that? Like, what are the confession? What are the confession questions? What are the confession or the questions we ask about confession? Why do we need to confess? I'll make it real simple. Because we're guilty. Now, there are lots of words in the Bible for sin, and we're not going to rehearse all of them. Um, Here are a few, though. Sin is missing the mark. That's probably the most uh, common term. Sin is also a trespass. God says, stay off the grass or stay off, and we continually run there. Sin is active rebellion. Remember in our Genesis series, we said that sin in its essence is taking the triangle where God is at the top, we're at the bottom, and we turn it 120 degrees, so now we are the deciders. And when we're the deciders, we kick God off of the throne, the place that he rightfully should sit, and we take over that role. We decide. Lots of words in the Bible for sin. Here's an interesting one here that doesn't show up nearly as much as the others, and that is debt. Now, you notice um, Jesus teaches us to use the plural because my guess is you don't have one. You've got a whole bunch of them, right? Forgive us our debts, plural. That's a financial term. It's a financial term in our world. It's a financial word, uh, word in the biblical um, sense. And it's a financial term, but God uses it. Jesus uses it here to help us understand sin. And it, uh, it works like this. Just suppose, I'm, I'm not thinking of any of you individually. Maybe none of you have ever lived this scenario. But let me uh, spin it out. You really want to buy a house, but you don't have all the money to buy a house. So you borrow the money for the house. And you really like to have a car, but you don't have the money for a car, so you borrow the money for a car. And you really like new clothes, semi-regular, and so you borrow the money for the clothes. And life's getting hard, and so you really need a vacation, so you borrow money for the vacation. And so you've got lots of bills on your credit card. You are in debt, right? You're in debt. Now, here's how the debt statement goes in our culture. You owe... You pay. Now, that doesn't work for the government, but but that works for people, right? You owe, you pay. That's how it works. You owe, you pay. And so if you don't think that that's true, uh, you can try this. My guess is most of you have a few debts in life. You may probably have a mortgage, maybe a car payment. Maybe you have some credit card debt, or you had to borrow money for something fixed around that. Right, you have debt. Well, just suppose you're beginning to feel, boy, all this debt's cramping my lifestyle here. I'm not able to do the things I want to do, and I'm not able to borrow any more money. I know. I'll go in to see the loan officer tomorrow at the bank, and I'll see if we can fix this thing. So you can try this if you want this week. So you sit down with the uh, loan officer at the bank, and you say, uh, I'm just here to tell you, uh, first of all, thanks. Thanks for the mortgage you were able to give me, and thanks for the car uh, loan, and thanks for the you know, credit card you issued, and thanks for all that stuff. But you really need to know it's becoming depressing having to pay these bills every month. And uh, I'm not able to do other things that I want and my credit's not. And so I want you to know I won't be making any more payments. <laughs> so if you would just like kind of wipe that away, we can start over again and I can start a new debt sheet next month. How does that work? You will quickly discover that bankers really live by the you owe, you pay kind of formula. Now, if you borrow money from a less reputable source than a bank, um, you don't want to have that conversation with them because they will eventually say, well, okay, you owe, you pay, and if not, uh, you won't be able to pay, right? And so, but we all know how the formula works, right? That means you owe, you pay. 
So why do we confess? Because we're debtors. Now Jesus uses that metaphor to say we are spiritual debtors. We are moral debtors. We committed all those things against God. God says, here's who I am, right? Who is he? But we haven't lived in light of that. Who are we? We're supposed to be living in light, but we don't live in light of that. We don't live in response to that. We create our own drama, ask God, or somehow want God to be a supporting, a supporting actor in our story. It doesn't. We are in debt. Not only debt to God, but debt to other people. Spiritual debt, moral debt. Why do we confess? Because we're debtors. Why do we confess we're guilty? Why do we confess we have this load of debt that needs to be gotten rid of? You know the formula. Let's try it. You owe. You didn't get that yet. You're going to go to your bank tomorrow, I know, right? It's, you owe. You pay. That's how it goes. That's what the Bible says. That's what, that's what um, life says. That's what our culture says. Well, what is confession then? So if that's why we confess, like what is confession? Uh, before I give you the answer, which most of you probably already know, let me tell you that when we sense that guilt, when we realize our debt, when we're feeling burdened by that, we often do the very opposite thing we should do. What do we do? We make light of it. No big deal, right? I know other people to do it. I'm better than they are. Or we blame shift and blame somebody else, right? And some of those statements may go like this. I know I lied, but we have to get rid of the buts, right? And but with one T, right? And you have to get rid of the buts. Uh, I know I, but if I didn't lie, I would lose my job. I know I gossiped about that person, but if I didn't, I wouldn't be able to win this friend. I, I know um, I know I didn't put in a full day's work for a full day's pay, but everybody else in there is doing it. Look. I know I complain a lot, but I get the wrong end of the stick most of the time. We have to get rid of the buts, right? What is confession? Here's what for confession is. Admission and ownership. I did it, and I own it. No buts. If there's a but after your statement, that's not confession yet. Confession is... I did it. I thought it. I felt it. I said it. And I own it. No excuse. No blame shifting. No minimizing. I own it. Now, some of you are probably sitting there saying, well, that's going to make people feel horrible. Yeah, that's right. Um, are you an Equalizer fan? I'm kind of a Denzel fan, Equalizer fan. One of the best scenes is the beginning part of Equalizer 2. If you haven't seen that, YouTube that today. So Denzel sits next to the guy after he just um, taught his men a lesson. They're not coming back, by the way. Um, and then he sits there and he says, um, there are two kinds of pain in the world. Pain that hurts and pain that alters. I want to say to you, there are three kinds of pain in this world. Pain that hurts, pain that alters, and pain that transforms. That's the pain that leads you to look at who is he and who are we, and you come clean, you own it, you admit it, 
and you cling to the only one that can bring forgiveness, and that's Jesus. Pain that hurts, and you just wallow in that pain. Pain that alters as you try. You're going to turn over a new leaf. You're going to try harder. Yeah, but that's real. that change, that alteration is only going to change. Or pain that transforms. You know what the Bible calls that? Pain that leads to repentance. Pain that leads to confession. And pain that leads to confession. And pain that leads to repentance. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Well, there's one more question we need to ask. We haven't gotten to the good stuff yet. Um, well, what is forgiveness? Well, we're not going to wallow in the confession part here, even though that, that's the only road to get there, right? Don't do the wrong thing. Don't start blame shifting. Don't start minimizing. Don't start making light of it. No, no, no. The path to forgiveness is through confession, and that's a dark place. You need to feel the pain, but let the pain drive you to the solution. What's forgiveness? Well, let's keep thinking about debt. Here's how that story goes. Who are we? We're debtors that have incurred an astronomical debt that we cannot repay. There's no shot. But amazingly, a righteous trillionaire is willing to transfer accounts with you. He's willing to impute to your account his resource and take your debt into his account. That's what forgiveness is. And that forgiver is named Jesus. We have an astronomical, moral, spiritual debt that we have no shot of repaying. But Jesus says, I'll take your debt, I'll take all of that astronomical debt that you can't pay, and I'll put that in my account. All your red ink will come to my account. And I will take my account that's overflowing with resource, and I'll put that in your account. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? But the only path to forgiveness is through the dark alley of confession and repentance. The pain that transforms is the pain of admission, the pain of ownership, not blame shifting or minimizing, the pain that actually brings us to forgiveness. Now, it, it's kind of interesting that the Lord's Prayer actually contains um, the themes of the gospel. Like, they're not just arbitrary requests that Jesus said, well, here's a neat thing to say. Um, they're actually the themes of the gospel that are packed into the prayer. That's why we can say the Lord's Prayer is not only a prayer that we can recite. The Lord's Prayer gives us the categories to think in and pray in because the Lord's Prayer gives us the themes of the gospel. The Lord's Prayer gives us the themes of the New Testament, the themes of the Bible, and oh yeah, the themes of Matthew. So let me show you what I mean. Take your Bibles and turn over to Matthew 18, and we're going to see that I suspect as Peter and the other disciples prayed that prayer, lived with Jesus, listened to what he taught, watched how he lived, those requests, who is he, who are we bouncing around in his head, he eventually had a question. 
and maybe you have a question like this too, which prompts Jesus to explain and actually expound what forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors means. So in Matthew 18, beginning in verse 21, here's a story Jesus tells. An answer to a crazy question Peter asked that's probably driven by the second request in the us are part of the Lord's Prayer. And if you don't think that's right, you tell me afterward, but I think you're going to see. Okay, beginning in verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Yeah, but Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Where do you think he got that from? Oh, yeah, remember, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debt. Well, Peter's probably thinking, well, I really want to be forgiven, but these miserable people keep sinning again. How many times do I have to forgive them? And so he comes, and he's being super generous, right? He says, up to like seven times. Well, that's more than double what the religious leaders taught. And so he's not coming up and saying, oh, seven. But before you rag on Peter too much, I mean, how are you at forgiving seven times? You're good at that? Seven times, same sin, seven times. Per, uh, how are you at that? Yeah, so don't look down your nose at him. We're worse than he is. Seven. So that's the question. My, in my mind, it grows right out of what Jesus taught him to pray. And as Peter and the other disciples are praying the prayer, probably regularly, they're listening to what Jesus says. They're watching what Jesus does. Well, how does this forgiveness thing work? And how many times do I have to forgive people? They're filthy, creepy people. How do I have many times? Seven times? Uh, here's what Jesus said. Uh, I tell you, not, not seven times, but 77 times. Now, the point is you don't count to 78 and then let them have it. No. Um, if you're not keeping count, you don't get there, right? As often as they sin against you, you forgive them. Oh, yeah, by the way, isn't that how you want to be forgiven? Like, I'm, I often find I want grace for me but justice for everybody else, particularly people who tick me off. Right? I want justice for them but grace for me. That, that's Peter, right? He, he and I are in the same cloth here. Therefore, here's the story in verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king. He wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought in. That's really hard to kind of exchange currency from culture to culture. Okay, here's the idea. 10,000 um, talents, right? 10,000 years wages in that ballpark. So here's what that's like. If, you may make more, you may make less. This is, I'm, I'm making the math easy for my little brain, all right? If a common salary is $50,000 a year, and you have 10,000 years pay, that's 10,000 times 50,000, that's $500 million. This guy was not, you know, he, he's not the cook. Um, he, he's, he's incurred a debt that borders on the gross national product of the kingdom, right? There's no way he can pay back $500 million. My guess is none of you could write a check today for a five, well, you could write one. You couldn't cash one for five hundred. And if you could, I want to talk to you about a few groups that we could give money to. <laughs> All right, so an asterisk, there's no way this guy can pay this debt, debt bag. You got the idea? That's why it says 10,000 bags of gold. Um, where are we at? Okay, 25. Since he was not able to pay, we just said that, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Now, I won't pay the debt, but at least I put a, like a little tiny dent in it. 
Sell them and get rid of them all, right? He's sick of them. At this, the servant on his, fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged. I'll pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Now, he still can't pay back the debt. Everybody knows he can't pay back the debt. But he's feeling the pain, right? He's owning it, right? He's admitting it. The, master's, the, master, the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. What? Yeah, crazy story. I mean, do you know any government officials like this? Any kings like this? Any parents? Any banker like this? Like, this guy's going to lose his job. Well, he can't lose his job as a king. 28. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow so servants who owed him 100 silver coins. Like, a hundred days pay. That's a big, that, that's like over three months pay. It's still a lot of money, but the guy could pay that part back, right? It would crimp, crimp his lifestyle a little bit. He could do it. He grabbed him by the neck and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him. Now, tell me if this doesn't sound familiar. Be patient with me and I will pay it back. Oh, yeah, he, he said that a little earlier. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had that man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. Now here, back to the Lord's Prayer. This is how my Heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister who sins against you. And that verse puts the fear of God in most people when they read it, right? If my forgiveness is dependent on how well I forgive people, I'm in a world of trouble here. Uh, and you are too. All right, so what's going on? We talked about a gospel economy, so let's see how we uh, can, tra can trace that out. First of all, we have a principle. An economic principle, we already talked about it, and the principle goes like this. You owe, that's right there, you owe, and that's how the story begins, right? The servant owes, and he owes a debt he can't repay, but he owes a debt and he has to pay it, right? That's, everybody knows how that economic principle works. The bankers know, the king knows, the servant knows, you and I know. Everybody knows how the principle works. You owe, you pay. In this parable... We get a crazy principle. In the parable, we get, this, um, we get this paradigm. You owe, the king pays. That would have called everybody up short when they heard Jesus tell the story. Wait a minute. I owe, but the king pays? I, I owe this debt. This guy owed this astronomical debt. And the guy didn't have to pay it. The king himself paid it? And notice, the debt didn't evaporate into thin air. It has to be paid. So the king, in a sense, has to empty the treasury, and probably over the next number of years, all of that, all that's going to be produced is going to have to go to repay things and repay loans that the guys take out. This is amazing. You owe, but the king pays. That's a crazy story. That's a crazy principle. What's Jesus doing? Oh, he's teaching us a gospel principle. And the gospel principle goes like this. You owe, Jesus pays. Oh, 
That's where the story's going. That's what that whole debt thing was about, right? That's why I think Jesus likes this language and this word for sin in the Lord's Prayer. Because it's easy to understand the cultural principle, the economic principle, you owe, you pay. You get this crazy king in a story, but it's a made-up story. It's not a real story. You owe, the king pays. Oh, yeah, but that crazy story is pointing to the ultimate reality that we owe, but Jesus pays. The ultimate king pays. And just like our debt does not go into thin air, that payment has to be made. And if you want to see what that payment looks like, you can read about that at the end of each of the Gospels where Jesus is led outside Jerusalem to a hill called Calvary and he pays the debt that we owed so we can get the righteousness that he earned. You owe, Jesus pays. That's gospel. But there's one more principle, and this is the one we kind of trip over, right? And that's, um, let's call this the disciple principle, right? Here's what Jesus is saying. As followers of Jesus, as people privileged with being supporting actors in God's story, not supporting actors in God's story, we get to live on a human level the gospel principle in the discipleship, the disciple principle that says, you owe, but I'll pay. You owe, I'll pay. That's not to earn something. That's to live in the right economy. And so it's as if in the story, and the king says, okay, well, make your choice. You want to live in that economy? Okay, well, we'll go back to that economy, and you owe, you pay, all right? I offered you, I offered you the gospel and principle where you owe, I'll pay. You rejected that one. Okay, well, then we'll live out the other one. You owe, you pay then. Let me ask you, which economy do you live in? You don't have to say it out loud, we'd all look at you and think bad of you, except we'd all be looking at ourselves. We live by that economic principle, don't we? We live by that cultural principle. People wound us, they hurt us, they slander us, they sin against us, and we make them pay. We make them our debtors, and we make them pay. We make them pay by the silent treatment or not talking to them anymore and avoiding them. We make them pay by powering up and lots of anger and bad words, and we, or maybe we make them pay with actual physical violence. Lots of ways we try to make people pay. So let me ask you, how's that working for you? Is that working real well? Which economy are you living in? That's the point. Forgiven people, forgive people. What was the servant's problem? And let, let, let me tell you how you and I, first of all, I'll tell you how you will never, ever be able to forgive people. So if you want to, well, you say, I'm already an expert at that, Charles. All right, but just in case, in case you need a little refresher, I'll tell you two ways that you will never, ever be able to forgive people. Number one, 
Look at the pain and the hurt that that person caused you. If you look at your pain, you will never forgive them. Because you know what? Sin stinks. And when people sin against you, it hurts. It physically hurts. It relationally hurts. It emotionally hurts. People sin against us, it hurts. Don't deny the pain, but take the hurt to the right place, right? Three kinds of hurt in this world. Here's the second way to never forgive people. Look at the jerk who sinned against you. As long as you focus on that person, you know what? You have lots of ammunition. And you know what we often do? We then share our little story of how that person sinned against us with other people. And we hear how they sinned against them too. And before you know it, we've got a whole catalog of wrongs this person has done. And as we're building that, that docket, what are we doing? We're creating a case as to why we never have to forgive. So if you want to learn how to not forgive people, look at the pain, focus on the pain they've caused you, or look at the jerk that they are, and you'll never forgive them. You want to know how to forgive? We've actually already talked about that, but I'll remind you because you may not have been listening. Look at the astronomical debt that you owed. And the amazing grace and cost that a Savior paid to forgive you. If you look at your pain or the person who sinned against you, you'll never forgive. If you look at your sin and you gaze at Jesus paying the price to forgive that sin, I didn't say it'll be easy, it'll be possible. Because the reality is, you and I know much more of our own sin than we know of anybody else's sin. And if Jesus has forgiven all of that, we can live in that economy. So which economy are you living in? You owe, you pay? Or do you want to live out the gospel economy? You owe, Jesus pays. And how do we follow Jesus and live in that economy? You owe, I'll pay. Somebody's got to pay. You owe, I'll pay. Which economy are you living in? Which economy should we be living in? Maybe as we end the service... Maybe a little time for confession that we've been in the wrong economy. We live out, we want the gospel economy for us. We're going to live out the economic, yeah. Let's demonstrate to those around us the economy that we live in, that we rejoice in, the economy that Jesus invited us into and led us in. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks. that we don't live in that cultural economy anymore. Even though we live in a world where that financial principle is still true, you owe, you pay. And even though every fiber of our natural being wants to live out that you owe, you pay paradigm for us and for other people who sin against us, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to look at our debt and to look at Jesus who forgave all of that debt. And help us to be so overcome with the gospel economy.
that we live out the kingdom economy. You owe, I pay. Because ultimately, Jesus wrote the big check. All I do is sign a voucher here and there. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.